Recorded during the Plague Year 2020, this is the Andromeda Minute. Each week we get together to talk about the all-too-timely 1971 Robert Wise-directed techno-thriller The Andromeda Strain, one minute of screen time per episode. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of tvdads.com. And I'm Dr. Jennifer Lavasser, a museum curator at the Smithsonian's National Air and Space Museum. And Jennifer, we are in, gosh, this, I, I was trying to figure out what this was the equivalent of in the modern age. This is the equivalent of um, if you go to Vegas and you check in at a hotel and you turn on, uh, you turn on the hotel TV and there's, a, there's an instructional video about how to play pie-gal poker. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, this entire minute is mostly composed of how to work the, uh, the monitor yep, on the wall exactly. to, show you, to show you where you're at. <laughs> yeah, and it's so, you know, it's obviously so kind of feeling old school in terms of all of this, other than the, the locator. Now, I mean, we all know, you know, if we have a cell phone, then we're probably being monitored, tracked, unless you, you know, are a genius and can figure out how to turn all that stuff off. But, um, you know, I got an update this morning via email from Google telling me, here's your Google Maps update for the month, basically telling me everywhere I'd been for the whole month of my phone. <laughs> and, you know, it's going to look like some, you know, spaghetti on a screen, basically, because I, you know, I'm all over the place usually carrying, and my phone is almost always with me. So, um, you know, back in the 90s and sort of trying to like even think backwards in time when these became issues, this sort of tracking of things. I remember as a, an undergrad in the late 90s, um, my student ID was what got me into my building. So we had some of those pro those sensors, you know, that would unlock doors even back then. And students uh, at the University of Michigan were very concerned about what that means for their, their um, privacy. So the idea that the university would be recording and tracking us through those entries and exits with our student ID um, became, Little did you know. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. That I mean, you're just talking about something that's the size of a credit card doing that. Uh, now we're talking about you know big pieces of technology that allow us to basically answer any question we can have, our own personal computers in our pockets. But um, we know that's what it's doing, and we know that it's listening to us. All these concerns about privacy going to like the Amazon Alexas and things like that. Yeah, you know, we, this is all this is all obviously kind of where this movie was kind of pushing the idea. You know, they're 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 going in this direction with what these computers and screens were capable of. One of the uh, you know, the scary sometimes you think you're too paranoid and other times you think you're not paranoid enough. Mm -hmm. uh, my wife and I just put down a new floor in our den and we were looking at it. Didn't type anything online about this, but uh, we were talking about uh, going to uh, Nebraska Furniture Mart, uh, which is local to us. Uh, for getting a new rug for the uh, for this new you know this new hardwood floor that's down, and not more than 15 minutes later, I was on Facebook and an ad for Nebraska Furniture Mart came up showing me that rugs were on sale. And oh my! I was like, I didn't type anything, and you, you kind yep. of look at you know when you see uh, you see Mark Zuckerberg in front of uh, whenever he's testifying in court you know in in front of the Senate and things, he always puts a piece of tape over his camera. It's like, well, what does he know? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it is very alarming and disturbing and um, disconcerting to think that you know and and I think I take it pretty seriously. It is like, am I paranoid or you know, am I not paranoid enough? Um, which side of that do you fall on? Because it's not easy to be kind of in the middle. And so with children who are getting to the age where they want to be able to communicate more re readily with their friends who do not live on our very small street, they would have to have a cell phone. 
and to think about giving them that and what that then means to their privacy at a young age. You know, I'm, I'm, Gen X is very, I think, very lucky to have been sort of at the very beginning of the personal computer age um, where we were not really um, exposed to that sense until we were older, until we were adults, basically, where we were having to think about those things. And we're still a certain level of innocence that we maintain and want to maintain for our children to some degree as well. I just think, you know, it's... Um, do I want even my employer knowing when I go to the bathroom? Um, you know, I have to leave and then I have to check back. You know, the, the restrooms in our building are outside of our locked office areas. So I have to have my badge with me to get myself back in. And so, you know, there are all those layers of sort of supervision that come into this, which can be, you know, managed well in the case of a kid with a cell phone where you can know where they are at all times as a parent but who else also knows those things or who knows what your kid is here you know is saying that then the phone is on you know phone app is coming up with to then advertise to them yeah um, or, or my, mentioning that daddy's out of town and it's like well you're not supposed to know that you know other people don't right. need to know that daddy's out of town right so, you, know, it, you know i mean I, just like any kid, I was influenced by, you know, seeing ads on, you know, you see the ads in between commercials for various random products. And my kids for years have been seeing these come up on the screen. And so when they finally get one of these things, and this has just happened in the last 24 hours, then they go out and they get this, they get this, you know, this seen on TV kind of an item. And then they're like repeating the commercial basically when they're out there playing with it. And so yeah. it's, you know, reinforcing these ideas, um, it's not uncommon, it's been happening for ages, but um, things like what we see in this movie, it's it's sort of, it reinforces certain ideas in a different way, or introduce certain ideas that now are expected, and we're definitely experiencing things about, like, biomedical cleaning, um, you know, these these ideas about cleanliness have been going on for quite a while, um, and now we're seeing it amped up yet again. And it's, uh, it's an interesting way that the media, just as a general concept, is able to kind of plant a seed and then, you know, it keeps going. Yeah, hopefully in a, po in a positive manner. Very um, true. It's, uh, it's fascinating, the, uh, you know, their, their acceptance of it. And, and they all seem to be quite surprised that they're being tracked or monitored and that, you know, there's no question as to how they're being tracked or monitored. I don't, I don't see any kind of GPS tracking devices on them or there's an assumption that there's some kind of, you know, maybe the cameras are looking at them or something. Right. You know, and it does harken back to another, um, another movies by minute moment that I know that you're, you know, very um, fond of. And that's when the astronauts on Apollo 13 kind of rip off their biomedical sensors because they're yes. tired of being monitored every single second of their lives. And, you know, there is a certain level of resistance to that idea in that in that scenario where there's a little bit there, you know, there's pushback here. There's a kind of I don't why do you have to do this to me? And I think this is ridiculous, mostly from Dr. Levitt, which I can totally understand. Yeah, yeah. Um, she's, she's you know, definitely I, the hero of this entire movie. <laughs> that's the way I feel. I, I, yeah. I, uh, of anybody she's the every woman, every yeah. man kind of character. <laughs> Yeah, what are what are you trying to pull here? That's the <laughs> exactly. Yeah, every one of us who are kind of Midwestern practical type <laughs> thinkers can totally get on board with the way she responds to things. And 
um, you know, not just purely accepting everything at face value or, you know, um, being willing to kind of go along with it. She, clearly, she's got insight. You know, she knows what this is all about. This is the concept of all of this is very familiar. She's done her homework, but she's still skeptical of the process, which I can definitely appreciate. Yeah, she's definitely she's she's the most I, I think she's the most um well, not just cynical, but she's the most skeptical of, mm -hmm. of any of the ones there. I mean, Dr. Hall is mostly skeptical because he, he's ignorant of the process. He just got, mm -hmm. he just signed, he, he's a doctor who signed up for this thing and he got occasional bulletins as to how things were going and he didn't really pay attention to it. But she's, she's the conscience of this, uh, this whole thing. Uh, Dutton, for sure. Dutton is uh, the sidekick to Stone and Stone, Stone has a certain Von Braun uh, duality about him. He, mm. I, I think he, I, I think he's aware of the uh, the nature of what uh, Scoop was really about, and Scoop seemed to be coming up with a, a, a more perfect uh, bio weapon. Um, yeah, and uh, it kind of got you know it, it's co opted obviously by the Air Force and uh, the CIA and things like that. But uh, yeah, there are a lot of big serious, you know, kind of more serious bureaucratic and kind of you know governmental level kind of things that are happening behind all of this and you have to be able to kind of read at least at this stage in the movie you got to be able to read a little bit I think that's what would you know it's all that exposition that for someone younger like my kids trying to kind of figure all that out even for me to go back and say you know this is this is just not the way I watch movies anymore this is not my expectation it does not fit my expectations for how I'm going to understand a subject or the like the actual context of the story um, so to have to like put myself in my sort of past self where I would have listened and digested and tried to and then kind of compile this idea this whole idea definitely takes a little more a lot more effort than it used to um, because it's just not the way that we we expect movies to function anymore so to kind of put yourself back <laughs> in time and go okay this is how we did movies back then where it required all of this extra context and exposition is it's it can be challenging um, yeah, you know, I'm excited to show my kids some movies of the past, like Bridge on the River Kwai and The Great Escape and a couple other, you know, sort of, you know, adventurous type movies like those um, that aren't that have a serious element to them. Are they really going to get the serious element? I'm not entirely sure that they will, because do they, I don't think they have the attention span and their expectations are different. You know, they want um, Avengers uh, yeah. end game every movie um, that does not really give you you know you cannot connect this uh, you know andromeda movie to that it just doesn't yeah it's work not that it's way. not five levels deep yeah it's... right <laughs> yeah um i you know we've we've talked a lot about this movie but what I, i'd also like to talk about is what you do for a living and you know besides <laughs> taking care of uh what my <laughs> what my son used to call the broken airplane museum um yes but um you you work in educating people about technology about yeah. uh, about the foundations of the technology that we live with now as we've been talking about gps mm -hmm. and and uh phones that listen to you and things like that but going yeah. back going back to when high tech was so high tech the only people that had it were standing on the moon uh, yeah. uh and you've you've written about I, I know that you you know one of your major jobs is to educate people about this and uh and you've recently written a book that explains some of these implements of technology that at the time mm -hmm. were 
you know, beyond everything. So can we talk a little bit about that? Or... Yeah, so um, my dissertation that got me to my PhD was about um, astronaut photography and sort of it in a bigger context. So, you know, I, as even as a young person, realized that space did not have, the space history generally did not have much of a role to play in um, in histories or cultural studies of the 1960s, which I found a little strange. Um, and as I sort of got into my career about um, almost 20 years ago at the museum, I realized that these, this was definitely even true within space history, is that images, um, how we see things and understand things today is often through visuals. Um, like films and so why is that not necessarily considered a bigger part of how we understand these moments and these stories and this history and so I wanted to find a way kind of some kind of insight into that so in doing the very historian thing of going and looking at documents at the National Archives, I was looking at, you know, what was it, what were the considerations in taking cameras to the moon, or um, it plays a much smaller role, but filming things on the moon, um, and even to a smaller degree, you know, broadcasting from the moon. But in my job, that's the kind of thing I'm thinking about, is how is it that images play a role in shaping our view today, even? of the past and especially the moon landings and the early era of human spaceflight and so i look at some of those images and i look at them and even in a broader context of you know how do we understand them as part of exploring our universe and exploring our world and so what role do they play and how do they shape our um understanding of even the the period of the 1960s and that's just not nobody's really done that homework and it's always been this image, you know, as a contributing part of a story, it's an illustration more than anything in most books. Um, you know, if you look at a history of the 1960s, you might, and I wouldn't even say for some of the best historians, do they always do this, include some kind of image from, say, the moon landings, even though it was maybe one of the most pivotal moments in the 20th century. So, you know, trying to extrapolate from that, what is it about the story? And I think there's, you know, uh, there's just definitely been a lack of appreciation for the importance that it plays in shaping what we, how we are today as a culture. And I think, um, you know, the technology element of that is really important. It's definitely shaped um, so much about how we think about technology um, you know, the expectations we have for what we can do, you know, there's always going to be the saying, if we can land a man on the moon, if we can land a woman on the moon, what can't we do? Why can't we, you know, cure cancer? Why can't we get a vaccine for COVID-19? You know, it's, it, there is, it's set a certain standard um, for our expectations of technology and science and engineering. And so thinking about that is kind of what I do. So, kind of bringing a lot of those thoughts together and certainly probably the recent years or recent months would may have changed even my own narrative in my book um, but uh, just last month I guess it's still just June um, my book from Purdue University Press came out called Through Astronaut Eyes and it's really this idea that we understand space flight through the eyes of people um, this era meaning the 1960s is really shaped by the perspective of a human being um, 
you know, we may get flashes of things from robotic vehicles, but we understand it because of the human element and, and, and in terms of the human element. So the people in the story are really, you know, the way in which this all makes sense to us. You can look at hundreds of pictures and there are literally tens of thousands of images from this era and you could look at all of those and the ones I think we all most often see other than two exceptions the ones that we most often see and understand are ones that have either people or technology in them because there's some component of that that's identifiable to us looking at a landscape of the moon we understand the idea of the landscape but everything else looks very confusing to us that is not a surface that we would understand we can kind of try our best but it is very alien um, and is often described that way. And so um, if that human element is missing, we kind of tend to ignore those. And the two exceptions to my rule are, of course, the Earthrise photo taken by Bill Anders on Apollo 8 and the whole Earth image taken by, probably taken by Harrison Schmidt on Apollo 17. <laughs> and those have a completely different life that I talk about in the book as well. So those as concepts um, have a much different role to play in the story. So, um, yeah. but it, it definitely goes back to this, you know, thinking about, you know, even relating it back to a movie like this is thinking about the ways in which technology has informed what we've done um, and how we view things. And so thinking about what we were talking about previously about how they're showing electronic diagrams and video monitors and pieces of technology, just pushing a button and getting this response you know, that builds a level of expectation. And I think the technology you see in, say, a photograph of an EVA on the moon or the lunar lander or the lunar rover, whatever it might be, we it builds a certain expectation for our capabilities that um, nothing else has really done. But it's even more so than t TV, still images are definitely the best way for us to look at that era. And that I would say that is true until the age of YouTube, when you can go on YouTube and find <laughs> just about any video film, anything that you could possibly want to watch about any aspect of the Apollo program in particular. I mean, there's an access point for that now. Still images have always been easier to access. So it makes I, a big difference. Yeah, I think, I mean, anybody seeing the uh, the image of uh, Bruce McCandless floating in the, mm. you know, the emptiness of, of Earth orbit with the, with the Earth down below and feeling... Feeling the distance between the camera and and Bruce McCandless out there, it gi gives you not only the wonder but the terror of being, gosh, what a what a not scary but awe filled experience that you're mm -hmm. just this is this is what we're capable of. We're capable of putting yeah. Out there um, there's an author who is a, a sort of keystone in most um, studies of the history of technology named David Nye. He wrote a book called American Technological Sublime, which is kind of where I root a lot of the way I think about this. This kind of um, story is the ways in which, you know, when you put technology in the setting of nature, basically, whatever that may be that it can create these moments of sublimity that are, you know, just so new. And so he talks in particular in terms of my, you know, era, um, you know, the Apollo 11 mission, the rockets, the ways in which we've become able to harness certain aspects of science and technology and nature even to create these moments. Um, and so it is, um, 
you know, it's both scary and awesome at the same time. And how do you, how do you grapple with that? And so that's, I think, definitely something you can see in any image um, with a human or not, but really with the technology and the human in the setting of the moon, it makes you realize that we brought all these things together. And it, I think it actually, you know, we, we've got people like Al Gore and others who have used these images for years to like create that sense of sublimity for their own purposes. But um, it doesn't take much to pull up one of those images and to have that experience yourself. So you can have those very simple experiences where it's you in the image and you can kind of do what you want with it um, or feel how you want to. But then there's lots of other people that are using those images to try and influence you as well. So um, it's yeah. a yeah. There's there's so many different ways you can utilize images. Um, yeah, it's it's it, it's a really it's a I, I, you know I always feel I tell the story best when I'm talking through the story and I hopefully the book comes out with a similar feel to anybody that picks it up. So um, I hope I at least make the story a little complicate the story a little bit and get people to think about what images mean in their daily life. Yeah, it, it's funny. I keep thinking of. Uh you were saying about human images in space and one of the most uh, compelling human images in space it doesn't get a lot of airplay as it mm -hmm. were but uh it's the face of abraham lincoln and he's on a penny which is on a mars lander which is being used as a uh, uh, kind of just a, a calibration instrument mm -hmm. uh, and it's a, it's a 1909 penny the first time the lincoln penny was out huh. and just and and as as uh, the years have gone by, the penny has slowly been covered with Martian dust. So oh, it's a wow. dusty view. But just that image of something as common as, as the face of Lincoln on a, yeah. on a penny on Mars, that we can do that. It, it, every time we see the picture, it's just mind-boggling to, uh, to think that we're capable of those kind of things. Yeah, and I think that's kind of what I, you know, that's really the kind of thing I want people to think about more is, um, you know, it's not about, and, and space history generally shouldn't be, and the way we approach history generally shouldn't be about just narrowing in on a single story. You know, that's part of my goal is to basically say, we've got to look at, and I, I use the word context a lot, and that's because these all have to be set within a bigger context, and you cannot understand a single moment in time without understanding the moments that came before it or will come after it as a part of that story. And so... Um, you know, if you want to understand a person or who they are or any, you know, any, there are so many different layers to all of this. History is not as, as simple as opening up a textbook. There are so many other layers to it that you have to even understand about the writing of the textbook that are important to knowing that history and understanding that history. And so that's, it's part of, you know, how I was trained as a historian to think about these things is that there's this complexity you know, we know how complex human life is, but we have the expectation of history that it was less complex. And that's really a false belief. There's just no way to look at it that way. And so even when thinking about this and sort of how the movie portrays, this movie portrays this story, like I said before, there's this clearly this complexity to it that you could create. There's this whole background to this. And that's when I think when a movie really succeeds is when you can get those hints of what that background is and feel that this is it makes it feel more real it makes it feel like this is not a fantasy this is not a hoax this is not a you know something that somebody made up it is that knowing that there's all of those layers and that's kind of what my book tries to do is create some of those layers behind 
the single image. So if you're going to look at that scene, you have to know that there's all these things that came before it to make that moment happen. Now, your your book is available on Amazon, or where can people find it's it? It's available on Amazon. You can always get it from the publisher as well, which is Purdue University Press. Um, and uh, I hope people enjoy it. You know, it's one of those, like, I, I, I tell people all the time, um, I have two actual human children, but I have one non-human child, and that is this book. Um, the book took a lot longer to give birth to than the kids did, thank goodness. But, um, it's <laughs> you know, it's always nice to feel done with something, which is definitely what this is. Um, it'll always be part of me, just like my children will always have a, you know, a, a part of me. Um, it'll it'll be part of what I do and what I talk about. But it's always nice to feel, too, that you're going to move on to something else and what's the next big thing. And so I'm learning a lot about what I want to make that next thing be right now, which is a lot of fun, too. So, um, awesome. yeah, wow. well, it's part well, of the process. The the book is Through Astronaut Eyes, Photographing uh, Early Human Spaceflight by Jennifer Lavasse. And it's, uh, as she said, available through uh, Amazon or probably Barnes & Noble or wherever, wherever, wherever great books like this one are sold. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, thank and, you and for that, 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 that prompt. Yes, I, I hope people enjoy it. No, well, well, th and thanks for being on the show this week. No problem. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna hopefully get out of this meeting room <laughs> by mm -hmm. by the end of next week. It's it is a it's a ponderous part of the movie, but there's there's more cool things coming up, uh, and mostly involving uh, scrubbing. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but uh, yeah, and uh, so if you'd like to talk uh, some more about these topics that we've covered here, uh, social media on Project uh, Wildfire on. Uh, uh, Facebook, I keep forgetting what the name of that social media is, and on Twitter, uh, Andromeda Minute. You can find any of our previous episodes on all the popular podcast places like uh, Apple Podcasts or Google Play, or you can find us at the big site, AndromedaMinute.com, all the previous episodes and summaries of same. Uh, we will be returning uh, Monday with a whole new week of, of things to talk about. Uh, in the meantime, please wash your hands, stay six feet apart, wear a mask. And uh, hopefully everybody doing this will make this plague go away a lot faster. Uh, thank you for listening, and we will see you here next week. Have a great weekend uh, right here on the Andromeda Minute. Very flattering. We don't know much more than when we got here.